From PRX and Transom, this is, well, it's no longer House Sound, so let me start over. From PRX and Transom, this is how, nope, old habit. From PRX and Transom, this is Sound School Podcast, the backstory to great audio storytelling. I'm Rob Rosenthal, and I should probably explain my confusion. I'm a teacher. I've been teaching audio reporting and storytelling since 2000. I launched the radio program at the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies that year, and I taught there for over a decade. Later in 2011, with the crew at Transom, we started the Transom Story Workshop in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. So for a long time, I've taught workshops here in the States and around the world for new and emerging producers, as well as experienced radio and podcast makers. It's possible you listen to my former students. They work at Radio Lab and This American Life and NPR and Criminal and 99% Invisible and Rough Translation, and they also work at radio stations. I mean, they're everywhere. Watch your back. And even though I'm teaching less now and working more as a story editor, I'm still a teacher. It's in my blood, and that's where this podcast comes in. I've produced How Sound for PRX and Transom since 2011. And damn, that's, that's like over a decade. That is over a decade. I've been interviewing reporters and producers and editors and sound designers and sound artists and field recordists, everyone, about the craft of audio storytelling. Here's another list. I've interviewed people like Roman Mars, Saeed Tijon Thomas, Nina Totenberg, Yowei Shaw, Megan Tan, Al Letson, Phoebe Judge, Chad Abramrod I've interviewed. I mean, I'm going to stop there because I've produced over 275 episodes of How Sound, and I'd be here all day listing everyone. You should head over to transom.org and comb through the archive to find them all. But now, 11 years after starting House Sound, we've decided to give House Sound a new look and a new name. You know, spruce things up a bit. Maybe attract some new listeners with a name that more accurately describes the podcast. So starting with this episode, House Sound is now the Sound School podcast. Everything's still the same. It's still produced by PRX and Transom. I'm still the host, and I'll still dig into the ins and outs of audio storytelling. So let's do just that. Uh, my name is Alyssa Nadwarney. I am a correspondent at NPR. Alyssa's beat is education. She says that's meant reporting a lot of short news pieces for NPR, but she's also had a bunch of opportunities to stretch out. Education is a wonderful beat in that there are so many good features. Alyssa has reported on education in prisons quite a few times, and she'll tell you, I think any journalist will tell you, gaining access to prisons is not easy. There's a high bar for approval, and each state has its own set of rules. For example, according to the Reporters Committee for the Freedom of the Press, South Carolina won't allow face-to-face interviews with prisoners. Other states require approval from department heads. Other states mandate victims be notified and approve the request. Of course, the status of the prisoner plays a role. Are they on death row? Are they in solitary confinement? If so, access may not be permitted. So in short, there's no guarantee a prison will grant permission for a reporter to interview an incarcerated person. Recording in prisons became even more of a challenge during COVID, but Alyssa discovered a silver lining. She was invited to an event sponsored by the California Rehabilitation Center. That's a medium security prison. They were announcing a new education program with Pitzer College for incarcerated people online. And I zoomed in and it was kind of like, whoa, Zoom has given me access to these 11 guys who are serving longer terms in prison 
getting a college degree. And I was on that Zoom. This is fall 2020. I was on that Zoom for about two hours just talking to these guys. They had set up a, a camera in the prison. Um, and because it's COVID, like the warden is also on Zoom. All the professors on the outside are on Zoom. Here I am, my little square NPR reporter on Zoom. This chance meeting started Alyssa on a two-year reporting effort. She didn't know it at the time. She didn't even have a story in mind when she sat in the meeting in her little square on the screen. So the big question I have, actually I have more than one question, how did attending this random meeting turn into a two-part series on Morning Edition on NPR? And how did Alyssa navigate the challenges following a story for that long and winnowing it down to two seven-minute pieces? To begin, even though Alyssa didn't know what the story was going to be when she started, she did know this. The 1994 crime bill barred incarcerated people from using federal Pell Grants to pay for college. And she'd been hearing rumors in 2020 that Congress was considering lifting that ban. Maybe that could be a news hook for this story, whatever it turns out to be. So she dove in. She started following several incarcerated people in the Pitzer program. And a few months later, one of the students, Daniel Duran, learned he was leaving prison. When Alyssa heard the news, that's when she and her colleague Lauren Magaki felt they had a story on their hands with Daniel. I think there's two parts that make it a story and make it a radio story. So I guess the first part is I've done a number of stories about education in prison, and they're very similar in terms of like the beats of the story. This felt different. You've got to now do the transition. What ha- what is what is the value of having gone to college in prison if you go out and you haven't completed your degree? Like, does it make a difference? I mean, that was like just a huge question that the previous stories had not been able to, we hadn't been able to answer. We hadn't been able to tell that story. It just made the story more interesting, especially as someone who, you know, the covering a beat stories can get a bit repetitive. You know, you cover this. And then it's it's the problem hasn't been solved, so you kind of cover it again. That, that feels very <laughs> indicative of beat reporting sometimes. And so this changed the story and made it interesting. And then the other thing in terms of audio is, can I be there? That's always my question. Can I be there when the action is happening? I want to be in the room. Like, my background is documentary film and kind of this mise-en-scene, being there with the camera when something unfolds. I love that kind of journalism. And so to have invested the time and the trust to have someone let you be there when they get released from prison, like that felt like, okay, this isn't just good narrative. This is going to be good radio. 20 minutes ago, Daniel Duran walked out of prison for the first time in four and a half years. I'm an emotional dude, so it kind of was like, it was kind of um, overwhelming. He's still kind of in shock. Freedom hasn't really set in for the 40-year-old. I thought, like, any minute they're going to be like, oh, never mind, go back to the building. Yeah. And they were going to be like, never mind, I'm not going home today. (laughs) Waiting for him at the prison gates, not family or friends. You know, you're a full-time student, and you want to kind of stay in that kind of mindset. But one of his college professors, Nigel Boyle. Coming down and picking me up was, like, really inspiring for a lot of the guys there. They were like, that shows the commitment uh, the school has to you guys. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, okay. Pitts is a small college. We do these kinds of things for our students, and you're, you're our students now, so... They're in Boyle's beat-up red minivan, headed to Pitzer's campus in Claremont, the liberal arts college where Daniel's been taking college classes for the past few years from prison. It's my third 
yeah. prison term. Oh, wow. so unfortunately. This, so this is the third time you've been released. Yeah. So unfortunately, does, does this does this feel different from the other two times? Yeah, I mean, the whole experience does, and then my whole mindset too. Like, I'm not the same person that went in. That person that went in grew up in Fontana, California, about an hour from LA. I guess crime was always um, present, like from, I guess from birth, I guess. Um, my home was like a gang, a hangout den. Daniel says his grandfather and his father both spent time in prison. His mother struggled with addiction and his grandmother raised him. He recalls joining a gang when he was 12, a decision that made him feel safe, protected. He got a high school diploma, the first in his family, in a juvenile detention facility, and spent much of his adulthood doing time in prison. His most recent offense was a domestic violence charge. It's shameful to talk about. I did that. I'm embarrassed by it. um, I didn't want to do it. I mean, I don't know. Just maybe my emotions condition at the time wasn't wasn't, um, there, and I had issues to to work through. When he looks back, he guesses he had the maturity of a five-year-old. But then, in that third stint in prison, a rare opportunity came along. He started taking college classes. All right, so group one, Ron, Daniel, Joseph, if y'all could come on down and occupy... That's where producer Lauren Magaki and I first met Daniel in the fall of 2020, over Zoom, at the California Rehabilitation Center, a medium security prison. Daniel's raising his hand. Yes, Daniel. I was going to say, if anybody was interested on the... Uh, Daniel was taking classes in philosophy, religion, and writing from Pitzer College, working his way towards a degree in organizational studies. From understanding patriarchy that we should make note of here? Yeah, I got one. Oh, yeah, let's hear it. So they, they were encapsulating patriarchal values in their kids even before... They there are very few colleges that offer degrees inside prisons, since the federal government has, for the last quarter century banned federal money to help pay for it. Daniel's opportunity to pursue a bachelor's degree from prison was a rare one. I still feel like unworthy of like all this opportunity. Like, what did I do? Why me? Uh, there's thousands of people literally in prison that are waiting for the same opportunity. And it's like, it's overwhelming. Like, I'm... So you spent two years with Daniel reporting this story. How did you know what to record and what not to record? Oh my gosh, that's the hardest question. Um, I mean, my instinct is to record everything. <laughs> and and we really did. I mean, we recorded a lot. We recorded stuff that like we knew was never going to be in in the thing. But you just in the moment, you're kind of like afraid that once you turn off the recorder, something's going to happen. And I just felt like if I have permission to be rolling all the time, I'm going to be rolling all the time and I'm going to take excellent notes and I'm going to have this amazing spreadsheet and Lauren and I are going to stay on top of the tape that we collect and we're going to be constantly talking about what we just got and where this could fit in the story and that's going to kind of protect us from being perhaps over recorders. If I understand correctly, you're you're based on the East Coast. That's right. And his story is unfolding on the West Coast. Yep. So I totally understand that when you show up, you're going to record everything. Like just, you know, we'll make more tape. You just keep recording, you know, kind of a thing, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. But you have to decide if you're going to fly out there 
So I guess what I'm looking for is like you had to figure out which plot points to record, which events to record. Like if he was going to go for a vacation, I'm making this up, but if he was going to go on a vacation, you know, would you record that? Would you not record that? Like I'm I'm trying to figure out how you made the decision to actually get your mic in front of him. So, well, I will say one thing. We're kind of constantly in touch with Nigel, their advisor, many of their professors, talking to them over Zoom, talking to them on the phone regularly. So we're very clued in, even if we're not in California, we know what's happening in their lives. And I would say the same with family. We are reporting this regularly and frequently, even though we're not in California. So that's one thing that really helped us decide when is it necessary to fly? So a lot of the tape in the piece is also from these conversations that we're having. It's not all from just being in California. It's from our check-ins, you know, just touching base. And then, yeah, then it did take a lot of foresight of planning out, okay, what are the most important things for our story? Or if nothing is specifically happening, when is it important to be there in terms of like what's going on in their lives or what's going on in the semester? So I'll take you back to some of those moments. Um, I mean, certainly getting out of prison. um, Anything where it was like he's going to meet with like a parole officer or moving into an apartment or getting a tattoo removed. Something like that that felt like an obvious element of the story that really moved the story along. Yeah, I think you parked there. But family uh, is family. And Daniel hasn't seen his in a long time. You ready for this? Yeah. (laughs) So on the same day he was released from prison, after he visits campus. Hey, little man. (laughs) His mother, Virginia, greets him, her arm around Daniel's 11-year-old son, who he hasn't seen in more than a year. He's going to school, baby. He's going to be a college graduate. One of Daniel's challenges, like many people getting out of prison, will be resisting the pull of his past. Home, family, for Daniel, it's associated with gangs, drugs, and pain. The tattoos on his arms, his neck, are a constant reminder, and one he's determined to shed. It's not even art, it's just like gang tattoos. Daniel tells his mom going to an elite college like Pitzer offers a totally different world. I try to explain to you like how like life-changing it is. But She's excited for Daniel. She even has a Pitzer bumper sticker on her car. But she's also worried about old influences, his old homeboys. They could derail him. You've got to stay focused, she tells him. And it's up to you to finish for yourself and for your son. Because look at there's no homeboys here. Consider Alyssa's situation. She recorded many interviews with Daniel, interviews with everyone else in his life, lots of scenes, and I should mention, she filed additional stories about other incarcerated people in this prison education program. So that's a lot of files and a lot of characters and a lot of story. I think Alyssa was most excited when I asked her about the most nerdy of subjects, information management. A good friend at Embedded gave us this wonderful spreadsheet. It's in in Google Spreadsheets. And we kept that updated with every audio file and then what the audio file contained. One thing that Lauren and I have really perfected for a three-minute hit on Morning Edition or this, like, two-year project is as soon as you're done getting tape from an interview, from a scene, we talk about it. 
We don't listen back yet. The first thing we do, actually, this is a side note, but we interviewed a, a brain scientist who told us that there's this thing called the two things rule that basically like when you're studying or when you read something, the two things that you recall first are probably going to be the most important. <laughs> like the two things that like when you're done talking to someone and you would like call your mom about, those are probably the most important <laughs> for the listener. So ever since we did this interview <laughs> with this brain scientist, Lauren and I do essentially the two things rule, which is as soon as we're done with an interview, as soon as we're done recording a scene, we write down what we think is the best tape. We took out the notebook. Sometimes we opened our cell phones and just did a voice memo so it would be reported somewhere, our conversation about the tape. And then we put that from the notebook or from the voice memo, we'd put that into the Google spreadsheet. Then you can search it for keywords. Okay, when was the moment that Daniel talked about his tattoos? You search the spreadsheet for the word tattoos, boom. It's in this wave file on November 15th, and it's in this wave file in December. It was a lifesaver. On top of all the stress and doing the readings and writing papers. What's the progress on that right now? Daniel's navigating visits from his parole officer. So campus life is good so far? Yeah, meeting people like... He's making sure Daniel's hanging out with the right people, avoiding interactions with the police. I'm going to test you, okay? And getting him to pee in a cup for a drug test. You're good, right? Yeah, okay. Let's test you. Daniel knows his tendency is to retreat when he gets overwhelmed or nervous. So I'm just trying to, like, get out of, like, my comfort zone. He tries rock climbing, he's gone hiking, and he's found real joy at a club he'd never imagined himself in. Ballroom dancing. I'm like, three times already? They had bachata, tango or something, and then they had a waltz. Yeah. What was that like? Intimidating, because, like, I, I only dance, like, when I'm alone, like, goofing around and stuff. When we visit him right before finals, even Daniel's appearance has changed. It's way lighter. He's been undergoing treatments to remove his tattoos. His forearms, normally covered in dark black ink, are now a soft gray. But I just wish it was off already. By the end of the semester, Daniel finishes with nearly all A's. A more confident student, a more confident and comfortable human being. This May, he collected his bachelor's degree, the first in his family to do so. Daniel R. Duran. The graduation scene is not the end of the two-part series, but it was the end of reporting for Alyssa. An obvious final plot point. From there, she needed to write the story, take all the tape and notes in the spreadsheet, and build a narrative. The process of getting it from graduation, and then you actually have to sit down and write, I just, it was excruciating. I just want to say that on the record. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> Why? Just so hard to condense so much tape into something that added up to a story. I mean, the best piece of advice I have was just like the out having an outline, plotting out kind of the journey of the narrative, and then figuring out the elements, the tape that fit into each bucket on the journey was the only way that it went from just a whole big bucket of tape to something to then start to mold into eventually what it became. I think about the outline before I even report on small and on large projects. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about of like knowing kind of when to jump on the plane. It's always going to change. Like it's never actually what the outline I set out with 
is. But when I start to report a story, I'm thinking about like kind of the elements that I need for a narrative from the beginning. Yeah, the key I feel like is to not report a kind of fill in the blank story. Here's my outline. Oh, now I'm going to go get the tape that serves the outline, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a struggle. It is a struggle, but I think if you go in without thinking deeply about the story, I think you're absolutely right to be open to change and it's not just like a drag and drop. But without any guide, I've just it's never it's I've never been rewarded that way. Daniel R. Duran. For Daniel and other formerly incarcerated students, this is a major accomplishment. But there are still some big questions. Where will Daniel work? How will he make money? At Pitzer, he's had the chance to rethink what his life is for. It's not just a life without crime. It's a life with purpose. But I want to do something meaningful. I'm pretty sure I could probably get a job at a warehouse doing something. I don't know. But it probably doesn't have any kind of like meaning behind it. So... But after dozens of job applications, so far, Daniel only has a stack of rejections for full-time employment. He knows going forward that just having a college degree, even from a school like Pitzer, might not be enough to overcome his prison record and the traumas of his past. How I was raised and what had happened, and and there's no getting around it. Everything that happened in my life is shaping like who I've become. And honestly, to tell you the truth, like I love being me. I really do. Now I just got to embrace it. That's very wise, Daniel. Yeah. Um, still working on, on some of it. In the meantime, he says college gave him the tools and the information to navigate a world where you have to keep going, even when there are setbacks and delays. Alyssa Nadworny, NPR News, Claremont, California. Alyssa and I, I mean, it, it seems like we talked about everything having to do with that series. For instance, did you notice that Alyssa left out the details of Daniel's crimes? I asked her about that. And did you hear the part where she says Daniel grew up in a dysfunctional family? How'd she fact check that? I asked her. If you're curious about those aspects of her reporting, the answers, as well as a screenshot of the spreadsheet she's so jazzed about, are at the post for this episode of Sound School. <laughs> See, I almost botched it. I almost said how sound again. So I'll start that over. If you're curious about those aspects of her reporting, the answers, as well as a screenshot of the spreadsheet she's so jazzed about, are at the post for this episode of Sound School at transom.org. There, I did it. This is the Sound School podcast. Not how sound anymore. The Sound School podcast with the backstory to great audio storytelling. I owe a huge shout out to everyone at PRX and Transom for guiding this transition. There were a lot of spinning plates and a lot of staff keeping them spinning. So thanks a zillion. Care to help spread the word about the switcheroo with the new name? If so, that'd be great. Drop a comment in your podcast app or tweet, whatever suits your fancy. Thank you very much. Genevieve Sponsler at PRX and Jay Allison at Transom scan my scripts for all the stupid stuff. Thank you. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. From PRX and Transom.org.